Hey, I'm Joel Goldberg, longtime television broadcaster, many years with the Kansas City Royals, also author of the book Small Ball Big Results, host of the podcast Rounding the Bases, and guest on Relationships and Revenue with John Hewlett. Life is all about relationships, and great leaders heavily invest in those relationships. On the Relationships and Revenue podcast, we talk about how to improve our most significant relationships at home so we can be better in our business relationships. We talk with experts from all over the world representing many disciplines about the best tips and strategies to become amazing people and amazing leaders. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin. As always, thrilled to have each and every one of you with us today. And as you heard from that fantastic introduction, I have the one and only Joel Goldberg with me. Joel, how are you today? I'm good, John. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. Now, folks, you heard Joel say that he is a longtime broadcaster, and he is, and he also happens to be a broadcaster with my favorite Major League Baseball team, the Kansas City Royals. So that's super exciting. Let me tell you a few other things that Joel is into. He is a speaker. He's the host of, as he said before, Rounding the Bases, fantastic podcast. He's written a book called Small Ball, Big Results, which we're going to get into in just a little bit. He's an entrepreneur, but he has two other titles that I suspect he holds most dear, and those are husband and dad. I can't, I can't disagree with that at all. And I don't even know if they're listening, but I would agree with you. I'm very in, into wouldn't it be terrible if somebody's like, nah, I don't agree with that. But yes, those, those are the best. And, and, and I'll say too, without getting too deep into it, part of that husband and dad title too really involves a family that has, for lack of a better way of putting it, put up with my craziness for all the years. And I think all of us that are mm-hmm. successful say that. But, you know, the thing, and maybe we'll get into it later, the thing about this TV schedule and traveling with a baseball team is you're not around very much. And I tell people all the time in that world, either you make it as a family or you don't. Um, and you know, making it means either you all figure out how to live in that world, you separate or you move on to a different job. So I am beyond lucky that all of it has worked out. Mm, That's Joel. That is so good. In fact, you know what, let's, since you brought it up, let's just dig into that for a little bit. Um, because you know, you lead a different life than most people do. I mean, truly you do with, I'll call it your, your, your main job. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I always like to say, well, my day job, well, actually, it's usually most nights. So, but you get, <laughs> your night get job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, John, the thing about, first off, my profession isn't that different than most others. It's different for a few reasons. One, it's obviously under the microscope and it's in the public eye. I don't ever expect anybody to know who I am either. And sometimes I'm actually refreshed when someone says, oh, I'm sorry, I don't, I didn't really know who you were. I'm like, great. You know, we could start right from the beginning. But for, most people, at least locally, if they watch some Royals and if they have for the last 15 years, and when I say locally, I mean regionally too, then I've come into their living rooms. And so that that's yeah. different than most jobs. And it means that you're always on, whether it's at the grocery store or at the stadium <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, you just, you don't have to be, it's, it's, it's certainly not in my personality to blow people off. So, you know, it, it's, you want to be able to look up, you want to have conversations with people, you want to. You know, I, I think that there's sometimes a stigma with TV that, well, they must be, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And some people are, 
it really, yeah. again, not that different than any other profession in the sense that you have good people, bad people. You got, even on TV, you might have some introverted people, extroverted. I mean, every type, you name it, people in the, you know, for the right reasons, the wrong reasons. I think what makes it different beyond what I just mentioned of being under that microscope and, and, and being a part of people's lives, oftentimes night after night is just the hours. Again, I will never say that I work more hours than anyone. I, I take a lot of pride in my work ethic, but I don't, you know, I've never had a normal desk job, so to speak. Yeah. I've never worked normal business hours in terms of television. And so when I look back to my wife and I, who have been married almost 25 years, there was never such thing as weekends off. Oh, what's the <laughs> difference between a weekend or a holiday? People say, what are you doing for the holiday this weekend? I'm working. And, and that's fine. But it's just, we, we, we don't look at Monday through Sunday or Sunday through Saturday, however you line up, you know, whatever the first day of the week is, we don't look at it as this is the weekend. Certainly once baseball starts, you know, you're working every single weekend and right. you know, but we, we all make sacrifices. So I, I think that that's something that's common. These are just a little bit different. Oh, for sure. I can, I can imagine, you know, um, I've had the privilege of meeting several, I would say high profile kind of people over the years. And you know, what's interesting is I have found the higher the profile, the more down to earth the person tends to be. At least my interactions have been that way. But ones who have a little notoriety think they're way more important than they really are. I don't know yeah, why that I, is. Well, I think that there might, and, and you know, I, I think it's probably overall that's going to be a generalization, but it's a generalization based on specific occurrences for you. So I think that you will, you will find that there are people across the board and all that, just like I said, in my profession, you have all types of people. And so you're going to, but I think to your point, John, there's a little bit, you know, we have that expression sometimes in, in sports, it seems like it comes most often, you know, after someone hits a big home run or, or a touchdown dance or something. And it's, it's that good old expression of act like you've been there. And <laughs> I think that, yeah. I think when someone is new to, let's say pseudo celebrity, like I'll, I'll have friends and family members that'll very sarcastically say, Ooh, you're a celebrity. Well, they don't mean it in the least bit. And then you'll have other people in town that are like, no, but you are a celebrity. And it's all label. It's all relative. Uh, what does that even mean? But I think that that was very weird for me when I first started. It was weird years ago as a young guy to have somebody come up and ask for an autograph. And my response was always, well, I, you don't want, you don't want my autograph. And you see the kids like, no, I do. <laughs> and you learn over time that it, it doesn't, this doesn't seem like a big deal and I don't seem worthy, but it means something to someone else. And so I think the mm. more you do that, I'm just using that example, but the more you do it, when I have friends that come to town that don't visit regularly or family members that we don't see much that aren't used to walking around town with me, and let's be very clear. It's not like we're talking about entourages. It's not like we're talking about every time I walk <laughs> around, I get stopped. You know, too, like this, this town and this part of the country, for the most part, people want to leave you alone. I'm not asking for that, but people are very respectful of your time and, and, and your space and your family, but you do it enough and it just becomes normal, even if it's weird. But then I'll have somebody come into town that maybe knew me when I was, you know, 16 years old mm. and they think it's the funniest, coolest, bizarre thing ever. So that, that actually grounds you and reminds you that, okay, like this is, it's not a big deal. But I think to your point, when someone that like that middle level or whatever you want to call it, when they haven't lived it on a regular basis, mm -hmm. they oftentimes don't handle it as well. And I think that when you become an ultimate superstar, let, let, let's also be honest. I mean, 
the ultimate biggest of superstars are in a whole different world. I mean, they're in demand every moment that they step foot in public and no matter what they do, mm -hmm. they're being followed. Uh, so that doesn't mean that there isn't a ton of ego and I, none of us can relate to people that make that kind of money and do that type of thing. But one thing I have learned is that if you treat them like normal people, they will treat you like a normal person back. And most mm -hmm. people don't treat them like normal people because they're ooing and eyeing and they, and they forget that they're just human beings. If you right. get to that point where you're not gawking at them, it mm. becomes very normal and almost a relief to them. And I'm guessing that's some of what you've seen. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, what's, what's interesting, uh, a lot of the athletes I've had on the show are former professional athletes and they're ones who finally figured out, um, first of all, the transition, as you know, for a lot of athletes is very difficult back to what I call civilian life, mm -hmm. very difficult. Uh, but these are some folks who finally kind of figured out how to do that. And, you know, my experience with those folks has been enough. I mean, just the kindest, nicest people. And if you didn't know they had some level of celebrity in their past, I mean, did, they don't act that way. Let's just put it that way. And just some wonderful people. I mean, some I know you've heard of before, you know, like Shay Hillenbrand. I've had him on the show. Yep. yep. Super nice guy. I mean, the it's just, we look at them differently and, and Shay's a great guy. We look at them differently because they're living a life that we've never been on the inside of. And when I say we, I'm talking about most people I have been, you know, and I, and I, I'm not a former athlete. I, I work with, and I'm surrounded by former athletes. And so I learn from them every single day and hopefully they learn from me on the TV side, but when I'm hanging out with the Rex Hudler and the Jeff Montgomery every day and. And now we've added Mike Sweeney and Jeremy Guthrie, former Royals, to our broadcast. Mm -hmm. you, you, even though they're all done playing, you get a glimpse of a little bit of a different life. And then traveling with the team, you know, these, I joke all the time that the players are getting younger and younger and I'm getting older and older. Well, that's true because <laughs> I, I keep getting older as we all do. And when, and when they get older, they move on and we get younger players. So I, I get this, I'm the fly on the wall every single day. Yeah, And so when you do that long enough, I mean, I remember early in my career, it was, oh my gosh, I just met Derek Jeter. I just met A-Rod. I just met Barry Bonds. I just on and on and on. And I'm not saying that's not a big deal. It just is sort of expected now. Mm -hmm. And so I think that what you end up seeing is that most of those guys, while they're playing and even more so after they're playing, were probably destined to be normal guys like me and you anyway. Mm -hmm. And maybe it takes a little time to adjust to that. And a lot of them struggle because they have lived a life where if they made it to, to that top level, they're flying on charter planes. They've got, you know, food left and right, whatever they want. They got ticket hookups to everything on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And it is funny that the people that make the most money tend to have to spend the least because <laughs> of who they are and all that. And they get the freebies. Well, when, when you don't know another way, you become very entitled and spoiled by that. The yeah. really great ones somehow managed to stay humble. And I, I suspect that those are the ones that have the easiest transition after. Uh, my, my broadcast teammate, Rex Hudler, uh, among the many pieces of, of wisdom, oftentimes very goofy and quirky because he's a you know fun, crazy personality uh, mm -hmm. for anyone that, that knows who he is. But he says it over and over again as a former ball player himself. The only thing guaranteed of a ball player is that at some point you're going to become an ex-ball player. Yeah. And that... I guess it's true of all of us, you know, at some point we retire or we move on, but the shelf life for these guys is so small. And, and especially in this day and age with social media and all the attention they're getting, 
they're they're never going to have attention like that again unless they are the a rod or the Derek jeter or the michael jordan where where they're they're beyond their sport they're they're iconic heroes worldwide but most of them it'll end and then you'll be oh that guy used to play ball oh what do you do now and, and that's where yeah. that comes yeah exactly exactly so what i'm curious what got you into broadcasting to begin with well well i can't remember every little thing what i remember is this that like a lot of kids growing up like a lot of boys and girls growing up all i wanted to do was play sports and of course i thought one day i'd be fill in the blank you know hitting walk-off home runs in game seven of the world series or uh, i think i figured out i wasn't probably going to play in the nba or any of those things but i, I figured it all out pretty <laughs> quickly what i knew from a very early age and i know this is accurate it was either first or second grade that's the question on it because my first grade teacher mrs dunwoody moved up from first grade to second grade with us somewhere mm. within first or second grade. I know my parents were getting complaints from Mrs. Dumbwoody. She thought I was a nice enough kid, but I was disrupting, I was disrupting class every day, trying to give updates of whatever game had happened the night before. And so <laughs> that was the early, very early stages of a future broadcaster that, that would never stop talking and that loved sports. And so nothing's mm. really changed. And I, I knew teenage years, even before probably uh, 11, 12, 13 years old that I wanted to go on TV and talk about sports. Wow. That's impressive because most people definitely don't know that early. But, that's but you know, but you know, what's interesting about that, John, I mean, I thought about that for a long time because most people that I knew, uh, you know, including say my brother who, you know, is in business school and then suddenly he's in the Peace Corps and he ends up in, um, you know, education. It's like, he could have never expected that path. Whereas mine in some ways has gone exactly the way I had hoped. But what I tell people all the time is that well, beyond the obvious, I mean, you shouldn't have to figure out what you want to do, uh, you know, while you're in high school or college, you know, ho hopefully you go on a journey and you, you figure that out. But I could have never envisioned this happening the way it did for me because when I was growing up and I grew up outside of Philadelphia before moving to Chicago. So I, you know, my dreams were talking of talking about the Philadelphia Phillies and the Philadelphia Eagles and the Philadelphia Flyers, the 76ers, and then Chicago. Well, I thought I'd go on the news and be like the local sports anchor. That was a huge deal when we were growing up. There's less of it now. People aren't watching the news as much. That's a whole different topic. Uh, yeah. There's just more at your fingertips now, and then you can get everything immediately. But I, I have a long background in news, but there, there were no sideline reporters when I was growing up. There were no pre and post game shows on television. Uh, there, there might've been a national show, but there weren't the local baseball team. You didn't have a 30 minute pregame and postgame show. There was no one standing on the sideline. Those are all roles that are expected now. And so what I love to tell people all the time is that it, you, there's a job out there right now, if you're younger, that it's not out there. It may not exist mm. yet, and it could be your future. And so, you know, I, I just pursued my passion and then the rest sort of happened along the way with, with a lot of work, but I could have never. I, I could have never predicted this journey to go exactly like this. Gotcha. So of all the teams you could have gone to, yeah. why, why the Royals? Because when you came to the Royals, they weren't that great. Yeah, no. And I heard about it because, so my first stop in television was a small, small market in Wisconsin, up Northern Wisconsin. Great place to, to begin, make a lot of mistakes, local news. <laughs> Then I went to Madison, Wisconsin, where I'd gone to college and went back to a TV station that I'd been an intern at. So I was a reporter there. Then I went to St. Louis, six years with the Fox affiliate doing sports there, and then moved to the regional doing Cardinals and some blues. And so 
This was, many thought, a lateral move because I stayed within the same company at the time, Fox Sports Midwest, Mm -hmm. who was taking over the broadcast rights of the Kansas City Royals in 2008. And I remember a lot of people in St. Louis um, who, you know, can have the habit over the years of maybe looking down on their their brothers from the west side of the state of Mm -hmm. saying, why in the world would you leave the Cardinals for the Royals? And I think what a lot of people don't understand in our business, yeah, if you grow up somewhere and you have a chance to maybe go work for your hometown team, maybe that would be a, a great thing. But even then, most of us have moved around so much on, on that are on the air that it, it becomes less about, I want to go back home or, or, or I've got connections to this city and more about wh- where's the best job. Mm. And it very rarely has to do, again, unless it's a personal connection to a team, it very rarely has to do with, well, they're in first place and they're in last place. So this would mm. be better. Yes. A first place team, a big market team is going to have bigger numbers and viewership. But really what most of us want, no different than any other profession, is we want to be in the game. We want, we want, I'll you you know, I'll use terrible sports metaphors here, but we want to bet. And so yep. I had a role in St. Louis very similar to what I have in Kansas City, but there were three of us that split up those responsibilities. Oh. And when I came here, I was the only guy and still am. So yep. I went from essentially in St. Louis, my last three years being with the regional, maybe hosting 10, 15 shows a year between hockey and baseball, and then reporting on another hundred games and other projects to coming here and hosting well over 300 shows per summer, traveling Mm. with the team on every trip, not splitting that with someone else. And so I basically went 100% baseball and for six months a year, and then carved, was able to carve out the time instead of working year round as a salaried employee, um, I rolled the dice a little bit and and Mm. came here and said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get these six months, nothing guaranteed. And the other six months, I'll do with it whatever happens. And so my wife did grow up here. Oh. I, it wasn't, it was never our plan to say, okay, we need to go back to fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Once it became obvious to me that I didn't have to go back to Chicago or Philadelphia. But her sister had moved back to Kansas City. Mm. Uh, uh, my, my wife had, and her family, she grew up here. And then they moved because of a job transfer to Chicago. And so um, she was the only one in her family that didn't go to a Kansas City high school. She would have. She went to elementary school, middle school here. And so then they moved to Chicago. Her sister ends up back here. And then when she gets married and starts having kids, what are we doing for all of our vacation time? We're driving from St. Louis to Kansas City. So we did not come here blindly like, wait, what is this place? We already had an idea that it could be a good place to be. Did a lot of research to find out more. But never in my wildest dreams could I have said at that point as we came here, okay, once I get here, I will know in a fairly short amount of time that I don't want to go anywhere else. So that was one of the real, real great surprises is that, um, yeah, we knew we were coming somewhere that that could be a great place. We didn't realize that it would be our, our, our kind of landing spot for good. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear the Kansas city has been so good to you. Oh yeah. And you know, one of the interesting thing that I find uh, going back to, at least on the athlete side of things, I have found that a lot of athletes who are not from Kansas city, who come here to play, stay after they retire because they they love the town and they love the people here that's that says a lot about the city as a whole i think yeah and it's it's a it's well i mean you know i mean it's an easy place to live but yeah you know it's like a lot of other things too i mean until until you're there you don't know i I didn't know uh you know i i I knew that it seemed like a decent place 
but I didn't really know, you know, what's it like at that point I had two young kids, two, two and five years old now, mm-hmm. you know, almost 18 and 20. So uh, yeah, you know, yeah. these kids were raised as Kansas city kids, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about your book, small ball, big results. Um, you know, some standard questions, you know, why in the world did you decide to write it and you know, who's it for and what do you hope people get from it? Well, it, it's, it's interesting how this happened. I very, you know, I, I just mentioned about having my off seasons off. And mm-hmm. if you're an entrepreneur, which I, I really wasn't, uh, I am now, but if you're wired like that, you're always working on something. And I know <laughs> that yeah, I, I, mean, I don't need to tell you this, right? But oh yeah, you are always. I didn't, I never was able to figure out what I wanted to do with my off season. Mm. I didn't want to work six to seven days a week. I do that for six months. Right. You know, we typically get two or three days off a month if we're lucky. And sometimes two of the three you're on the road, you know, in, yeah. in, in a city already and, and, yeah. you know, great hotel, but where's the family? So, um, I didn't want that pace. And so, you know, I would just do some random sports, uh, some, some smaller local stuff, some smaller national stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing, nothing major, nothing with the big networks or anything like that. And so it was fine. And then uh, it was even doing some, um, college hockey events, some minor league hockey mm. and, um, fun stuff, kind of stay sharp. Uh, you know, none of it big money making or anything like that, but just, just something to, to, to get out and do something with. And I remember it was December of 2016. I was, I was calling, um, you know, the, some high school basketball tournament games, like a holiday tournament or something in Columbia, Missouri. And I went out with a friend afterwards who said, well, what are, you know, what are you up to? And I'm doing, telling him all that kind of stuff. And I said, I'm speaking to some association next week, golf course and lawn care management, golf course and lawn care management, blah, blah, blah. He says, you do a lot of that. I said, not really. Uh, they just called and asked if I'd do a talk about culture. And mm. he says, you know, you, you could start a business. I said, I could do what? And he <laughs> said, you could start a business. And, and you referred to it before. How did you refer to it? I always refer to it as the real world. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, civilian life, world. civilian life. Thank you. Um, which is another great, it, it, it's very much along exactly what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't think that my television world or the sports world is the real world. Doesn't mean mm-hmm. we don't work hard. It, it is fantasy land though, because it is, you know, it's where everybody else goes to, to, to be entertained. Right. And right. so when you're living in that world and you don't know any other world and it's a great world, you don't really know about a whole lot else. So mm-hmm. okay, occasionally I, I, you know, fairly regularly, I would get the calls from Rotary clubs or a church hmm. group or a school to come and talk. Well, those are generally pro bono, which was fine. Good community engagement, yeah. but there would be no reason to think about monetizing that because that wasn't an option. A rotary club isn't somebody saying, Hey, well, yeah, it looks, you know, it just doesn't work like that. So he mentions that and I'm like, well, that's intriguing. I, you know, I've never thought about that, but I, yeah, okay. I could see it maybe. And so I start looking and start looking and, and I start you know, hiring people to help me, uh, you know, learn the business coaching and all this. And Mm -hmm. everybody and their mother said, you got to write a book. Speakers write books. And so I meet with a woman who I'm sure is going to magically help me write this book. We can call her a ghostwriter, uh, because I have no idea what the heck I'm doing and I can write too, but Mm -hmm. what the heck am I going to write a book about? And we talk and we're 10 minutes into the conversation. She can have my business. And she says, you shouldn't write a book. Not yet. I said, how come? She said, you're not ready. She said, start a podcast instead. Mm. I said, really? She said, how come? And she gave me four reasons. She said, one, you already know how to interview people. You do that for a living. Two, it'll be a great opportunity to meet people outside of the sports world. So make the podcast more than sports. Mm. Three, it'll be a good opportunity to create a brand outside of baseball and sports. Um, That makes sense. And four, it'll be content. Who knows? 
Uh, it could be speaking content, book content, and that happened. And then along the way, during the pandemic, where I'm out of work from baseball, uh, I haven't quite monetized the podcast yet. It was never my goal, but it eventually happened. Uh, I'm not speaking because nobody's hiring speakers in April of 2020. No, so they I just, were not. I dove in and started writing a book. And I asked every guest. It's funny because you have a question I know that, that you're going to ask me. And I asked my guests three baseball-themed questions towards the end of every podcast. One is, mm. what's the biggest home run you've hit in your career? Two, which is the one that, that I think is a little similar to you. Uh, what's the biggest swing and miss you've taken? And what did you learn from it? Uh, and three, what is small ball? I mean, you know, your Royals won, not by hitting all the big home runs, but by doing the little things, right? The punts, mm -hmm. the sacrifices, the stolen bases. So I thought, what a, what a great metaphor for maybe culture or mm -hmm. for just the foundation of companies that are successful. What, what is small ball? What are the little things that lead the big results? And so mm -hmm. book came and it's a combination, almost half and half, uh, every chapter of a baseball story and a business story. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know. Small ball in the civilian world, the real world. How do you build trust with people? How do you find purpose? Paying attention to details. You know, every role in an organization matters. Things like that. And, you know, baseball organization and a locker room and, and everything that comes with it really isn't all that different than most companies. For sure. You know, you used a very interesting word there a moment ago, and I want to kind of hit on that for a second. Uh, details. You know, one of the things you'll find not every entrepreneur, but there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there who typically are the visionary, that they're the ones who dream the big dreams, but have absolutely no idea how to really make them happen. They got to have other people undergirding them to fulfill the dream, to make it a reality. You know, and, and one of the things that I am truly, I, I say this in all humbleness, that I am blessed. I'm what I call a practical visionary, meaning I know how to dream the big dreams, but I also know how to make them happen. Because mm -hmm. uh, as you know, details matter. And uh, it's the tiniest of little things that can make such a huge impact. Uh, one of the questions you were asking uh, or that you ask on your show is something I think about a lot. It's like, what are some things that I can do to enhance things for my clients or to make things better for the people that I'm serving. And one of the things that I do on a regular basis, Joel, is um, I send out notes, handwritten notes to people, which is something that unfortunately a lot of people don't do anymore. No. I mean, they still send ways to connect with people, or, but they're almost always electronic. Yeah. And I just think people really appreciate when they see something actually handwritten by someone, like the, uh, like the Christmas cards that I send out every year. They're, they're not printed. I write in them. Yeah. All of them. And that's on purpose. So it might not surprise you that among the hundreds and hundreds of answers that I've gotten about what is small ball, that one's come up a few times. Mm. Um, not, not regularly, um, which is good because if everybody were saying that, then I think it'd lose some of its luster as much as it would be heartwarming to have everybody back to writing handwritten notes. Yeah. I also think there's something to this about it, it helping you stand out. You, yeah. The, the loss of a past generation, the loss of, of something that was so beloved here in this country of just sitting down and writing a note mm. while it's gone away has created a lane for someone that is willing to do that. And so that enables you, that would not have been a separator in the past. It would have been expected. Now yeah. it's unexpected and it becomes a separator. And so I think that for me, you'll never see me write a handwritten note 
because I can't even read my own handwriting. So it's a, <laughs> it, it's a, it's a garbage excuse, but it's a legitimate one because someone would accuse me of having had a first grader write it. And then I would say that that's, that's embarrassing and, and not fair to the first grader. So I, I have to live digitally. However, I think that there's a greater message here. I was thinking about this as you were, you were bringing it up in, in terms of attention and details. I can't come on your podcast and lie to everybody and say that I, I'm the master of every detail and I'm good at that. I am actually, my strength is, is in many ways, not the details. It's the flexibility. It's sort mm -hmm. of that what you might expect from someone that goes on live TV. So I can, I can drive some organizers crazy in my speaking business. I don't because I'm very aware of it that they may want details and specifics of what I'm talking about a month in advance, two weeks in advance. And I know that I'll actually be at my best and changing it over and over again, last minute. And, <laughs> yep. and, 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 and so I, I am, I'm not a structured person with that said one, I understand that you always have to make people feel comfortable. So that's an important detail to me. And I know how to do that, yeah. but the details that might be needed to make them comfortable or the details that might be needed for me to be successful may or may not resonate with me, may or may not keep my attention. If we're being honest, may or may mm. not be something I enjoy doing. So then becomes my responsibility to make sure I have someone that can do them well. And so I think the greater message when it comes to paying attention to details is there will always be details that you either don't enjoy, you're not good at, or don't have time for. And you have to be able to have somebody pay attention to those details. When I started, like most entrepreneurs, when I started in TV, I was, and any entrepreneur can relate to this stuff out of television. I was the cameraman. I was <laughs> the producer. I was the writer. I was the reporter. I was the anchor. Sometimes I had to fix some things as well. Mm -hmm. uh, on and on and on. I mean, you know, you, the writer, you, I, I did everything. And then over time, they start to say, well, wait a minute. We have some. And this is a union shop. We got someone. You're not allowed to do that. Okay. If I, I can't touch that. Okay. I, that, that doesn't quite look right. It looks a little out of focus. I could have done that, but I don't have the ability to do that anymore. And so you mm. start to learn how to rely on people and, and what, what needs to be pointed out, what can you let go? And, and so those details end up being handled by other people. And then it becomes a matter of delegating and, and trusting and relationships, everything that, that we're talking about. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, um, you, you mentioned relationships and how important they are. In fact, this is what I say with regularity. If you want your business to be the absolute best it can be, it actually starts with the relationships you deem to be most significant. And for most of us, that's what's going on at home. I can tell you the future of somebody's business based on how things are going at home. Without a doubt, I can tell you that easily. So with that thought in mind, Joel, what are you doing right now to build into, to make better or to improve your most significant relationships at home and what impact did those have on your business? Well, I mean, I, I think first and foremost, everything is communication. We all can struggle with that, especially at home where you take things for granted. Oh, we know each other well, it'll be okay and all that type of stuff. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, as, as you and I are talking right now, we're getting close to baseball season. And I know that, sometimes forget, but I know that this time of year can lead to a lot of anxiety within my family because mm -hmm. we're about to go from none to all. Now, yeah. again, I'll get back to the days of none are over because now that I have my speaking business and the podcast and working on book two and on and on, there's no such thing as a slow day. However, there are days where I can decide, you know what? I want to do less today. Or I, I think I just want to chill today or let's mm. go on vacation somewhere. So 
I actually have freedom for six months of my schedule. So I bring that up, you know, what are you doing at home? Nice. March and October, except for the playoff runs for the Royals, then I'd say November, but March and October are the two toughest months because mm-hmm. in March you're gearing, you're almost bracing for the crash. Oh. And October you're re-entering into your family's world. Yeah. And it's not that I'm not around, but you know, I can go weeks at a time, especially when the kids were younger, of uh, not really seeing my kids for weeks because mm. I might be home for seven or 10 days, but I'm working till, you know, 11 or so at night, home at 1130 or midnight. They're already sleeping. This is yeah. preteen years, but they're already sleeping. And by the time I wake up, which isn't that late, but maybe it's eight or eight 30, you yes. know, or even a, um, they're already off at school. And mm. so it was a matter of trying to figure out how that worked. Now everybody's doing their own thing, but then it's, you know, how can I be more present? How can I be more aware right now as we're gearing up for this season that even though we know how to do it better than we've ever done it before, there's a little bit of a fear factor that the world's about to change again. And so just really trying to pay attention to those details and, and, and appreciate that there, there is a reason for, for a heightened sense of anxiety, right? Oh, I, I can only imagine what that's been like, uh, for you guys. And I mean, that's, that's certainly, it's a good reminder to me, Joel, hearing you say that about how important it is to create memories with your family. Uh, something that I learned much later than I wished I would have. And that is, you know, our kids never remember what we give them as far as gifts are concerned, but they do remember the memories we create with them and how important it is to do that rather than the stuff. Cause the stuff's not important. It's the time together. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think the challenge ends up being teaching that to them <laughs> because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like if, if it, if it takes us a while to learn that then, and we're, we're figuring that out as adults, well, we all like shiny objects. Right. Um, so the question becomes, yeah, what can you do with them that they, that they remember later and they do remember it. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Uh, well, you know, and we're, we're finding now as our kids get older that they're they are getting more excited by some of those experiences. And so, um, mm. that, that for sure is, uh, cause, cause they all, they, they won't forget those memories. No doubt about it. Oh yeah. Now, wait a second. I was going to ask this question, but you alluded to it just a moment ago. Did I hear you say you're working on book number two? I am. Although I, I also should say, I'm, I don't want to say I'm behind schedule. I think we've already established that I like to sort of wing it a little bit, but, you um, you know, the beauty of all of this, and, and I think this is this to me, John is the fun part that I never really expected or signed up for in the same way that I could have never envisioned doing all the stuff in baseball that I'm doing. I envisioned something. I certainly did not picture myself getting in front of audiences, uh, the way I am in every profession around the country. And, um, I, I generally, the talks are about small ball, but it's all about leadership and culture and team building. And mm-hmm. it's very storytelling driven and it's fun and it's not even really baseball. Uh, a, a good story is a good story if it has meaning and, and purpose. You don't have to know baseball. And, and I tell my audiences that if they happen to watch and they love baseball, great. But um, I could have never envisioned when I started this meeting the amount of people that I did. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you you and I connected. We don't know each other, but I never had these conversations before. And mm-hmm. maybe you reach out to get me on your podcast because you see me on TV. But I really, a lot of my social media now is all about what I'm doing in the speaking business and the podcast and the entrepreneurial end and the leadership. So it's opened all these doors to connections and relationships with people that I would have never met before. And even if they were a Royals fan, maybe they saw me, but I didn't know that. Right. And so what's happened is that over time, just as that woman told me, 
I've collected more content than I know what to do with. So <laughs> writing book number two, other than just, you know, the, the, the tough process of writing a book, um, as you know, it, it is the content piece is easy. The, the mm -hmm. challenge is what, what don't I want to include? What, yeah. you know, what works, what doesn't work? What's going to, you know, what, what's going to be the most intriguing. It, it, it's all going to be really cool stories again. And, you know, just trying to tie it all together. So mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, every chance that I get to talk and, and, and that's true in baseball and out of baseball, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I have access to baseball stars or behind the scenes, role players, every, everybody that is in the ecosystem of baseball from the manager to the front office to the grounds crew, and then being able to walk into boardrooms and hang with CEOs or startup entrepreneurs or entertainers. And so it's just this unique access mm -hmm. to, to such a wide range of people. And what you end up seeing in the end is that there are commonalities between all, all of them <laughs> that are successful. Uh, and, and, and one, one person might just happen to be someone you've never heard of before. And the other one might be a superstar, but there are a lot of similarities. Oh yeah. Now, the next question I have for you, it's it's probably a leadership type question, but I know there's more to it than just that. Something I've really been wondering for a long time, and you, I think, are like the perfect person to answer that. What did you learn from the lean years of the Royals that yeah. led up to the championship runs of 2014 and 15? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I'll answer it in two ways. On a personal side, what I learned is... You can't get sucked into whatever negativity might come with losing. Mm. And so one of my early mentors here and one of my early broadcast partners, Paul Splitter, who passed away in 2011 after battling cancer, pulled me aside one night in 2008 and said, you're getting so mad about these losses because I, I still had a lot of fan in me. Even though I was yeah. new, I was building these relationships. <laughs> I wanted these guys to do well. I wanted to show everybody, yeah, I came to Kansas City and yeah, we're, we're a pretty good team. And, and then over time, you, you come to, realize that you don't really, that that can't affect what I do. And he pulled me mm -hmm. aside and he said, you're getting really upset about the losses. Let me, let me give you some advice. There are a lot of important people paid a lot of money to lose sleep over the losses and you're not one of them. And wow, I took that and I take that with me every day now as I'm walking out of the stadium and maybe it's a, it's a rough patch and they've lost seven or eight in a row. And oh my gosh, I, it feels like the last three losses have been the exact same thing. Can't we just queue up yesterday's show and go home? And then you remember that. <laughs> I, like somebody actually will be watching and it'll be more than just mm -hmm. one person and they might be in a hospital bed or they might be overseas, stationed overseas. And, and, and yes, they'd like their team to win, but you know what they don't want? They don't want a lack of energy. They don't mm -hmm. want someone that looks like they're upset to be there. And if this is really your dream job, then, you know, let's go. So what I learned was that yes, winning is much easier, but that I still have to find, and my broadcast partner, Jeff Montgomery or whoever I'm working with has to find a way find that energy a producer has to find a way to come up with energy and still come up with storylines even though it feels like oh my gosh we're talking about the same thing over and over again what i learned from the losing to the winning uh, beyond what we just talked about paying attention to detail is i watched an organization really start to build a culture which all began with treating people right valuing everybody valuing we talked about details every single role making sure that everybody felt like they were a part of that culture not yeah. just the superstar not just the 25th guy on the roster, but the accountant, the person that's directing traffic, uh, whoever it might be. And beyond just the parking lot attendant, what about everybody that's coming into the parking lot? I, I heard uh, a business owner the other day say he was clashing with someone uh, within his organization. And you know, ultimately he won, he was the owner, but who was more <laughs> concerned with 
the culture piece to this other person was taking care of the employees. And if that's at the expense of the customer and the owner was saying, yeah, but the customer always comes first. And my comment was, mm-hmm. you know, the customers are part of the culture. They may not be your employees, but they are part of the culture too. And that's something that I saw and I learned that as the Royals built this culture and I saw them go from worst to first and then champion and then go back again and trying to get back up there. And that's a whole different discussion in terms yeah. of market size and all that was that that culture included people in Kansas City. It included people in Wichita, in Omaha, um, in Lincoln, uh, in Des Moines, down to Arkansas, and really anybody else. And so that they may not have been employees, but this was their team too. And so I, I think that ends up being a key is building that culture, valuing everybody, and making everybody feel like they matter. Couldn't agree more with that, Joe. Could not. Um, I'm curious, not that getting into the speaking world isn't a natural outflow of what you already have been doing. But I'm, I'm curious, how did you discover that process of becoming that? And, and maybe to, to a much larger extent or to a deeper level, what was the process like for you discovering your purpose? Meaning if speaking is a part of that, how did you get there? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, again, the, the getting into the speaking was accidental. The, the, that was not a path I knew existed. It's not one that had been spelled out for me. And so I got hit over the head by my buddy who said, you should do this. And I thought, yeah, sure. Why not? I'll try it. And so truthfully, in starting that, it was, ooh, this could be a good side hustle. Mm-hmm. This could be a, a nice way to make some money and more money than I was doing with some of these smaller sporting events. So let's try it. That energized me to try something new. But I don't think I really understood the purpose part until it started to mirror the purpose that I'd found in baseball. Mm. which was a little bit of what I was just talking about when I started to understand that we had an opportunity, even on the worst of days, whether that be a bad loss, whether that be um, a death that we had to cover, you know, and we had a few of those, which are awful. Uh, It's the worst thing to cover for anyone. Certainly, you know, someone that's used to just talking about sports, that all of that mattered to people Mm -hmm. and that we had a chance to come in to their bedrooms, their living rooms and be part of their families. And to be able to hear those stories, I started to realize that this is so much more than just, I love to talk about sports. This is actually being able to lift people up and be a part of of their lives. And then I started to see that as I was getting off stage and and it's just like TV people. Hey, I love that. That was great. Hey, I'm a big fan. Thank you so much. But then you start to hear from people after the fact, you get a message or you bump into someone two years later. Hey, you know, you told this story. I saw you speak and it got to a point where it's like, I don't remember everybody that I met at every speech because there've been so many now, but somebody will come up and say, Hey, you spoke to my group two years ago, five years ago, and you told this story about fill in the blank. And I'm thinking, you still remember that? And then they mm. say, you know, it really helped me make a change or I actually changed professions or I actually had a better attitude at this job that I didn't like until mm. I was able to leave. And you start hearing enough of those and you think, Oh my gosh, I, I'm actually helping someone live a better life. That is the purpose right there. Yeah, And that goes so well beyond, I want to make a little extra money in a side hustle, oh, yeah. which has now become a full-time job. So it's two full-time jobs and both of them give me equal amount of joy, which is pretty cool. That is very cool. Um, staying in that same theme of the, uh, of your speaking gig, you know, one of the things as a professional speaker, you have to be prepared to do is you have to be prepared to go on in a moment's notice with no preparation and do a great job. So with that thought in mind, someone comes to you, uh, you're not the speaker, 
and says, look, our speaker didn't show up. I got to have somebody. What's your go-to talk, Joel? You know, it, it's funny because, so the go-to talk, simple terms, like I, I, I titled it, same as my book, Small Ball, Big Results. Now, okay. there are probably six or seven or, or even 10 different topics I could cover. And I generally bring it down to four to five. Trust is almost in every, in, in almost every speech purposes in almost every single speech. And then I can switch it out depending on the group. But if you were to tell me right now, our speaker just dropped out. We need you on stage in one minute. No, oh, by the way, we don't have time for a PowerPoint. I'd be fine. Yeah. Would it, would it be my 100% best? No, because I, I, I like my pictures and, and videos and stories and they, they enhance everything. But sure. it would be the same thing if you told me right now, oh, by the way, you got to do a baseball pregame show in one minute. Um, I, I don't even know if you know who they're playing, but go, I'd be fine. Mm. But that sounds so much more difficult than it is. Mm. But whatever anybody, whoever's listening, whatever you do, if I were to say to you last minute, you got to go do it, you'd know how to do it. So again, mine's under the microscope. Mine's in front of a television camera, but, but that's what I do every day. No different than somebody going to a networking event or somebody going to a business meeting or, or whatever it is, a board meeting. And so, uh, maybe I wouldn't have all the details that I need, but I have so many reps of doing this over and over again, that there wouldn't be a fear factor. And then you know, you just kind of go to the lowest common denominator. What do I need to do to get this done? And mm -hmm. what, what do I know? Uh, it's not like somebody saying, okay, last minute, I want you to go do uh, a 30 minute pregame show about nuclear physics, <laughs> you, you know, or let's be more realistic. Joel, we need you to do a 30 minute show on the upcoming cricket match. That would scare me. I've never covered cricket before, but I can do all the main American sports. And I could probably even do some things like wrestling or swimming or because I covered those in high school way back when, would I be totally mm. prepared? No, but I could talk my way through it enough. And I think that the, the, the lesson there is just always be ready. You never know when something's going to come up and, and, and trust yourself and your background and, and, and the work that you put in. For sure. For sure. Um, you know, something that I have long advocated for, and, and it's something that scares most entrepreneurs to death. I say frequently to friends of mine who are entrepreneurs, you have got to learn how to be comfortable in front of a camera. And I don't care what kind of camera it is. It can be something that is, you know, such a big setup like you have most of the time, or it could be just your phone. But you got to get comfortable in front of the camera because if you want to connect with people, they need to see you. They need to connect your face and your voice on a regular basis together. Um, do you do anything or any work to help entrepreneurs get better at that? Or is that something you've even considered? It's on a long list of things that I think I could do to help people at some point. Gotcha. But, you know, and I, I think all entrepreneurs get this. You, you, you start branching into a million different directions and it can be a little bit overwhelming. Well, how about this? How about this? How about this? How about this? Yeah. And then you start to say, okay, what do I like to do? What am I best at doing? And then, and, and I think I would actually like and be good at, at exactly that. Uh, and maybe that comes into some later coaching and working with companies and, and doing that type of thing. Right mm -hmm. now, I, my sweet spot is getting up on stage. Um, or, or sitting down in a, you know, in a small office in a group around a table and, and, and more of a workshop type of feel and some back and forth and, and doing all this type of stuff. But I, I full well believe I can make people comfortable in front of the camera, but it just on the long list of things to do, it's not there yet. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I think it becomes part of, part of something. How would you define success? Joe? Um, it's a great question. I, you know, I. It's not determined by money, although I think that certainly plays a part of it. 
Um, but I, I, I think to me, success would be defined as, as doing something that you love and being able to make an impact on something or someone. Mm, love that. Love and, that. I, and that sounds so simple, but most people aren't happy, you know? And so, <laughs> um, finding something that you love that helps someone or something is very gratifying. I think that's success to me. Okay. Who is investing in you right now? You are at the moment, I think. No, I, <laughs> well, thank no, you. I appreciate no, that. No, but let, every every connection we have, I mean, anybody that is willing to sit down and, and network with you, anyone that is willing to jump on a call, anyone that's willing to, you know, I, I mean, anyone that is willing to take the time to interact in you is investing. And hopefully you're investing in them. I, I, it, so I don't have a specific answer. I mean, I can rattle off companies and good connections and all that and athletes, but I, I think anyone that's willing to spend the time and then it goes both ways, right? Mm. I mean, it's, you know, I, these are these little tiny details again, that, that, that every little moment's an investment in something. Sure. You know, and if somebody's not willing to invest back in you, is it really a relationship then at that point? No, I, I would mean, say and, it's and not. No, and hopefully you learn that sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. What are you doing to invest in yourself right now? I'm always trying to reevaluate time management. You know, there, there aren't enough hours in the day what matters most, what needs to be done. Some of that is personal level too, whether it's family or just, mm -hmm. you know, are you carving out time to take care of yourself? Whatever that might be, whether it's meditation, whether it's working out and, and then, and then you got to keep reevaluating because suddenly you get busy again. And so I think that's it. And, and investing in myself as we get ready for baseball again, just, just finding the rhythm and the routine. And, and that changes a little bit. And then trying to, again, as a non-structured guy, trying to, trying to find that sweet spot. Gotcha. What would you say is your number one or go-to daily habit? And if you don't have one, can you give me a top three? Um, at some point during the course of the day, just, just finding, even if it's five minutes, just, just shutting everything thing down and being quiet. Hmm. Um, you know, because it's, it's just, it's so nonstop, um, to try to do some type of workout, have some rough mm -hmm. patches with that. Um, and three, just trying to, trying to connect with someone every single okay. day. Not necessarily somebody new. It could be someone old, but someone. Gotcha. All right. We talked before about, uh, you know, the big F word that nobody likes to talk about, and that's failing. Uh, as I've said many times on this podcast before, I think the number one ingredient to success is failing and that failing provides us an opportunity to learn. We don't learn anything when we do it right, but we can learn when we do it wrong. With that laid out there, tell me about the time that you failed really big and what was the result of that? So my favorite story with this, and I've got a million of them, uh, you know, and asking the whole swing and miss qu question too, is like, um, we swing and miss every single day, but coming out of college in 1994 at the university of Wisconsin, as you know, is my dream to be in TV. And I applied to something like 25 jobs. Now this is pre-internet years, just kind of getting started with email. So I found a service, send tape in the mail, and I got rejected all 25 and I was ready to give up and felt like it total disaster. Like this is all I wanted to do. And I'm going to go work at the local restaurant where I'd worked in high school. And what I learned from it, and it goes to everything that you believe in, I know too, John, is I started calling up and I'm not a cold caller, ev not every, but TV stations all across the country, smaller TV stations, and basically said, Hey, I'm passing through town next week. I know you don't have an opening. I'm just out of school. If I pass through town, could I hand deliver you a tape and maybe say hello? Mm. And that led very uncomfortable to 20 something new connections. And suddenly that first job offer came in within a month and then suddenly a second and a third and a fourth. And it was a very early reminder. I tell people all the time, I'm not in the baseball business. I'm in the people business. Mm. Um, you have to build the relationships. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you have coming up that has you excited? Well, the, the obvious is um, baseball's coming up. And so that's right. exciting and a little scary because got to figure out how to balance it all again. We, we talked about that a little bit. Right. Um, but some really cool speeches coming up this summer and, and they're all okay. great. But I think what has started to happen now, I've got one this summer navigating around baseball. I still speak during baseball season. One in Nashville, one in San Antonio, is that yes. I really built this, this business local. And now what's starting to happen is I'm getting a lot of national stuff, which is great. Um, so, so super excited uh, about that. And then I mentioned book two, I hope by December, so holidays, that book number two will be out. Okay. Well, we're definitely looking forward to that. Uh, folks, as you know, anytime I have a guest on that happens to be an author, I do this. So folks, this is what you need to do. Since you've gotten this far in the conversation, I know you've watched and listened the whole time. Get out your handy dandy phone. When this episode comes up, I need you to take a screenshot of it. You need to tag Joel and you need to tag me in Instagram. And when you do that, the first person who does that is going to get a signed copy of Joel's book on me. We will make that happen. All right, Joel, we're getting close to wrap up time. How can folks connect with you? There are a million ways. Um, I'm all over social media. That part's easy. LinkedIn's a really good way to, to message. Uh, or, or if you're looking to send you know, something message-wise to, to me and my team, love to help you out. All types of speeches and working with all size groups. Right through the website, joelgoldbergmedia.com. There's a contact page in there, but I'm very easy to find. Okay. And any parting words before we get to our final four? Things you want to make sure folks know? Just what I just said, John, that no matter what you do, no matter what your profession, uh, it's always about other people. It's always about everyone else. And so it doesn't mean we can't have our egos and all that good stuff. But but if the focus is on making something better for someone else, you're always going to succeed. Love that. Love that. All right. Here's our final four. Question number one. Why did God create Joel? I, I hope to, to help people and make an impact on people's lives and to make them smile a little bit, too. Love that. What are you doing reading or listening to right now that's helping you grow oh right now i've gotten away from that i'm just binge watching too much stuff late at night which isn't the best of, of ideas i'm usually <laughs> reading like four or five different books at once and i seem to be reading none at the moment um let me make it know, easy for you then yeah. if we're talking about a book what is a book that you recommend often to people or even that maybe you give away well um i really like simon sinek's infinite game that was one of the more recent ones. Um, okay. We all need to do a better job of playing the infinite game. I, I can't recommend that enough. Anything that um, Adam Grant does is great. I love him. Mm -hmm. um, and my favorite, one of my favorite books of all time, if you're looking for a feel good, is Joe Posnanski's The Soul of Baseball, following mm. around the, the late, great Buck O'Neill. Um, and that, that was amazing, too. Oh, yeah. What do you do for fun? Love to get outdoors and hike, which, you know, Kansas City, depending on the time of year, may or may not be a great thing. But, you know, if we, when I was in Arizona for spring training, after a workout, I'll go hike, um, you know, for wherever we go, if there's, if there's hiking opportunities, my wife and I, and, and the kid for that matter too, we love to be outside. What are you most grateful for? Just the chance to do this. Mm. I mean, what, what are the odds that after 28 years, I'd still be doing this and, and to have a family that embraces it, understands it, supports it mm. is, I mean, I, you know, th th this exceeded my dreams really. And I, you know, and I had big dreams and, um, they didn't go exactly as planned, which is a great thing, but, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's worked out beyond my wildest imagination and, and to be doing this 28 years and now I'm in my fifties and I'll be seeing people that are my kid's age coming into the business as athletes mm -hmm. and broadcasters is just mind blowing to me that, that somehow oh, yeah. suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm the guy with a little bit of wisdom now. <laughs> That's great. Well, Joel, 
thank you so much for your time today, man. You have dropped some great knowledge on us. And in addition to knowledge is wisdom. And there's definitely a difference between the two of those. Uh, so I appreciate your time and the things that you've gone through. Thank you for blessing us and allowing us to learn a little bit more about you. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and your patience with me. And um, straight to visit with you, John. Same here, Joel. Same here. And thanks to all of you for tuning in today. Uh, you have given something that you can't give back, your most precious resource, and that's your time. And I never take that lightly. So thanks very much for being here today. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlett. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.